leading through colossal failure. And you're thinking, wait a second, this is a podcast. It's supposed to help us. But there's so many examples we can talk about leading through a colossal failure. But a lot of times we do that in little tiny failures. And it really sets apart what our brand is, what our character is. And if we don't learn from these things, certainly from these larger colossal failures, we're just going to just think it's not that big a deal and really kind of hurt ourselves as leaders. So we're going to dive into that and learn the easy steps even in failure, to get it right. It's time for the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Stress, and I know whether you're starting a small business, you're a solopreneur, or a leader in a large company, you need to collaborate with people. I want to help you make those collaborations fulfilling, productive, and as profitable as possible. So every Monday morning, we'll drop a new podcast episode to do just that. So let's get into today's discussion. Welcome back to the Leadership Lifestyle Podcast from across America and around the world. So good to be with you and be able to share some thoughts with you. And today's topic might sound a little strange in that we're talking about the possibility of failure, not moving forward, not winning all the time. And here's the thing, you no matter if you aren't failing at something, obviously you're not trying hard enough, but sometimes the failure is at a very high level. Sometimes as an entrepreneur, you lose a company. Sometimes you get fired. Sometimes you screw up at work so bad, things just fall apart. Or things uh, other people screw stuff up. It's not even up to you. It just happens. But you're the one that's got to deal with it, especially if you're leading at a super high level. So you're thinking, wait a minute, this thing I'm doing might fail? Um, Yeah, it could at any time. And, and for reasons you might not even see coming, or hopefully you do. But when it does happen, I don't understand why people just just act like it's not coming and they act like it can be covered up or it can be smoothed over and it really can't. It really can't be. And just when you think it's all good, that is usually the time things aren't going great. And when I, I you know, you might be on a great growth trend and stuff like that, but I'm talking about you've kind of leveled off. There's a, there's a level of stagnation. There's not a lot, whole lot of progress going on. Or you've had a certain level of success and you actually start getting full of yourself. And the next thing you know, it's falling apart. People, a lot of small companies experience this. They get a little bit of money or more money than they've ever had. And the next thing you know, they're spending it rather than just giving themselves a nominal salary and reinvesting back in the company. So there's all kinds of things that can happen. But what you really got to do here when you when you feel like it's falling apart is kind of grab, you know, remember when it's started. Remember how great you felt, whether it was the first day you got your business license for your for your business or your company, or you were hiring people, uh, you were growing yourself. If you're in a large company and really getting to a high level and working with other people and creating products and making more money and all those things and remembering how you got started and those feelings of success getting going. Because we all like to talk about that. But as soon as there's trouble, as soon as there's things that don't feel right, we tend to really get in a negative space and it's all for nothing and all, all of that. And we don't remember what got us successful in the first place. And one of the things, once it really starts to go off the rails, is you know when bad things start happening and then we're trying to fix it. And in a sense, things kind of get political, even in your own company, of people differing opinions. 
And the thing is, everybody's a Monday morning quarterback and everybody is right and everybody's wrong, but they can't clarify. They can't see through what really needs to change, what really needs to happen. And so you just have this fighting, especially on a ship that's going down, if you will, a company that's getting ready to truly fail or a division or a department is it's kind of like a room's filling up with water and all the rats are climbing up and they're hiding and they're running. And it wasn't me and they're blaming everybody else. And, and that even could be the leader doing that. And that's where it just accelerates how colossal that failure is going to be because we really aren't examining what could be done or what should be done or just acknowledging what happened and moving on rather than trying to just cover everything up to not be embarrassed. You know, Russian writer Anton Chekhov, famous quote says, any idiot can face a crisis. It's the day-to-day living that wears you out. And honestly, I think... (laughs) Like I just said, you know, everybody think everybody's right and everybody's wrong. That's this quote is what I think about that is no, any idiot cannot face a crisis. And we're going to go through some examples of that. It'll make it crystal clear that it's not true. But it's also true that it's the day-to-day living that wears people out. Now that part is you think about it, that's where a lot of people do lose is the day-to-day, we all call it grind. Uh, You know, we're not focused on the right things. We feel like we're on a hamster wheel. We're doing the same behaviors every day or every week, every quarter. And it's that day-to-day that just lulls you to sleep, that gets you off your game. We have a uh, podcast, a very early podcast. I want to say it's either six or seven, uh, where really get into the difference between traditional leadership, like in a large company, or entrepreneurial leadership, where everything's on your shoulders and which one is better. And of course, it turns out you need both because if you're in a large company, you can get stale and not care. And if you're an entrepreneur and you've never run a big team, you've never created processes and systems in place to, to keep your, your business growing and let it scale, they can fall apart then when you think you're untouchable, that you're bulletproof. So that quote, I can see in both directions that the day-to-day can wear you out. But the fact is any idiot cannot manage a crisis because it really comes down to certain characteristics you got to have, whether it's a large failure or a small failure, none of that matters. Well, it matters, but the same characteristics play out. And in some cases, sadly, we're talking about lives, not just business. So that that can all be affected by how you deal with stuff. So I'm going to talk about a few examples here in relatively modern history, close history, that some of it garnered by politics, which I'm not going to get into Democrats versus Republicans, stuff like that. But the, the fact of the matter is a lot of these things happen simply because of a lack of character, simply because of a lack of, they knew exactly how they were going to handle it and were so caught up in the inertia that it, it really just swallowed them up and it became collapsed. So let's go back to 2005 and talk about Hurricane Katrina. Now, for forever and continuing on, there are hurricanes that always show up. And especially if you've grown up in Florida, I was in Florida until I was about 30 years old. So an approaching hurricane, we understand that. We we know how to prepare and deal with that. And, and we know even as much pre- preparation as we could do, there's still going to be a lot of destruction. Well, in this particular case, we have a couple of caveats here that made this you know, quite possibly one of the worst ever in that the strength of the storm was at the top of the scale and targeting toward New Orleans made it one of the worst places it can hit because a large swath of the city of New Orleans is actually below sea level, which makes it really hard and it's just protected by levee walls, which we all know inevitably failed. But the example here is this, and this is not Monday morning quarterbacking. I'm using this as an example as we can see the failures. We can see it. So we know the storm's coming and we know we got you know a week or two and then as it gets closer, that prediction gets dialed in better. And, and by all means, there were failures too on the city level of New Orleans and all that. But in this particular 
particular case, I'm talking about femur director Michael Brown and how inadequately prepared he was for this job. Because here's the thing, for four, maybe even five days, if I remember right, we all watched on cable news the devastation. We all watched people clinging to rooftops. Say what you want. They they were not supposed to evacuate to the Superdome, but yet there they were. So it doesn't matter at that point, at that point in time, why they went there or the fact they shouldn't have been there. The fact is they were there. The fact is we were watching for ourselves on cable news what was going on. And for days, not a whole lot happened. They immobilized the FEMA office and all their assets, just like any other hurricane, and really weren't prepared for that level of disaster. Like they didn't have like a high level crisis response, even to the point where one of the biggest concerns for this FEMA director, once he even got on the ground in that area, was where was he going to get his clothes dry clean? Wait, are you kidding? So you see this this lack of focus, this lack of understanding. And even President George W. Bush shows up days later and the famous quote that almost did him in looks at Mike Brown and says, you're doing a heck of a job, Brownie. No, he wasn't. It was tragic because he couldn't understand like the worst case scenario. And think about this. You're talking about FEMA. We're not talking about some mundane government agency or some helper or even the National Guard who did the majority of the rescuing. I mean, this agency's thing is federal disasters. So are you telling us you don't really have like a playbook of, hey, what would the worst possible scenario be? And that's what we're going to do. You think about 9-11 and Rudy Giuliani and how he responded in that moment in 2001, where he was sleeping like maybe four hours a night and running all over town and being that focal point of everything that was going on and communicating with the people and being on the ground in the midst of it. And in this case, in Hurricane Katrina, none of that was happening. They're acting like it was just some other storm and a lot of lives were lost and a lot of a lot of things that happened that should have never happened. Another example, just a few years later, the housing bubble of 2008. Now, I was in the mortgage industry in the early 2000s, so probably 2003, 2006. And uh, when I first started, it was quite enjoyable. But when I left, I kind of saw what was coming. And for all of these institutions, lending institutions and, and equity firms to sit here and say they didn't see this housing bubble coming is ridiculous. I can tell you that every every uh, company that does loans, they know exactly what's in their in their portfolios. They know exactly their loan failure rate at any moment. How much is coming in? How much is going out? This this doesn't happen in a vacuum. And there was a lot of nefarious things that exacerbated it. But again, once it took hold, it was like every person for themselves. And it was everybody else's fault. And I, I can't even understand how this can happen. And it was quite easy to see when I would see just on on my end, uh, we're calling on different brokers, doing some business to business selling and seeing some of the deals that were being made now. And then some of the deals that couldn't be made. And then one by one, some of the really, uh, I don't want to say, well, maybe unscrupulous, but companies that really weren't uh, high level, shall we say, uh, started just disappearing one after the other. Just, just They just went out of business first and you kind of saw the snowball effect. But for people to, and even people in government, because all this stuff is regulated through the Fed. And for them to act like, oh, we didn't, we can't tell this is, this is garbage. That is just a total lack of character, total lack of leadership. And nobody wanted to admit before it really got out of control that it was out of control and put a stop to it because the 
gravy train right before that was so good of selling package deals of mortgages to investment firms and getting their money back and going out making more loans because the people actually making the loans were just collecting the fees from doing the deals and then selling the loans to an investment firm to hold. Well, once a lot of those loans started defaulting, the investment firms didn't have money to give back to allow these institutions to do more loans and so on and so on. And finally, it just collapsed. And it should have because the, the things that were happening were just crazy. And um, there's no way, no way they couldn't have seen this coming. But yet it happened. I'll give you a personal experience of mine. A company transferred me from one state to another. And they call, and I was so excited because they called me, wanted to interview me. And it was really cool. It was back then we did uh, we did teleconferencing. We didn't have Zoom. The internet was coming, but wasn't really there. So I was doing a, an interview on a television, which was very new to me. But I wound up getting the position and listening to what they were telling me about, oh, this location and, and how much business it has and how successful it is. Well, what they were really telling me is what it was like two years prior to that, not what it was today. And once I got up to that place, moved my whole family, did all of that to get there, it was a disaster. It was nothing like what they said. And we had to rebuild the place. And I didn't, I did, I, honestly, I did, obviously, who wouldn't say what's going on here? This isn't right. But I didn't dwell on that. I didn't stay there. And I really started turning that, that operation around. And we did get it turned around. And a lot of people didn't think we could, but we did. And just as I was in the midst of that, all of a sudden that same company says, oh, by the way, we're going to right size our company. Meaning they took a hard look at how much labor they have producing things. And they just decided, well, we got to make some cuts. And everybody sent in a list of who you're going to cut and we'll do the rest. And I didn't really want to do that because I knew people were going to lose their jobs. But what I did know, I had to cut, basically, I had a 29 person team and I had to cut three people, which doesn't sound like a lot. But what I also knew is I almost had some redundancies and some technical skills with people. And I knew there were other departments within the same company, even though they were cutting help, they didn't have it. And I was able to actually get all three of those folks placed somewhere else and, and talk to the leaders in those units and get those folks moved there and they didn't lose their jobs because I was just straight up with them saying, here's the situation. Here's what the company's doing and here's how you can save your job. If you choose to, you can go if you want, but if you wanted to stay, here's what you had to do. And they all did. And I was very proud of the fact that I was the only place that didn't have to offer packages for people to leave because I was honest with them and upfront with them and didn't just say, oh, it's not my problem. I, I was still gainfully employed. It wasn't my problem, but I just couldn't do that without really examining the whole thing and saying, hey, there's other options here and being honest with them. So let's use a, a, a really current example of a colossal failure of leadership. And I think we could all agree with this. And yeah, I'm talking about COVID. I'm talking about the coronavirus. And again, I'm not going to get a political over which president handled it better and all of those things. But what I am going to say is there's some really common sense stuff here that if we just had the information as people, that it would have been a lot easier to deal with than what it is. We wouldn't have the total chaos because what we're seeing now is typical of a colossal failure when there's no direction, no clarity of everybody's got everybody's right and everybody's wrong. It's exactly where we're at. And it's divided. And honestly, I don't know that we can get on the same page at this point, but what we're seeing shouldn't have had to happen. You know, there's just some things that we just know to be true. So for example, the term coronavirus has actually been around since 1968. Now COVID-19 simply is the coronavirus from the year 2019, which is why it's called COVID-19. And it is not the same virus as every other 
coronavirus. They all have their different strands and similar to the flu, which I know this is not the flu. It's not the same thing, but there are a lot of similar characteristics as far as there's different strains and different ways to, to deal with it. But even in the beginning, even in the very beginning, I'm talking about early 2020, you had so-called experts. Well, I shouldn't say so-called. They are. I say they're so-called because they should know better. So the World Health Organization tweets out in January 2020 that this coronavirus cannot be transferred from one human to another. Well, now they're saying, well, that's what the Chinese government said. But regardless of any of that, it's a virus. Viruses do spread <laughs> regardless of that. And here's what's really silly. And, and I'm not using this as a conspiracy theory. I'm just saying this is what's true is there's a, a Law & Order episode from 2003, which by that's 18 years ago, that the premise of the story is a doctor injected a, an ex-wife with coronavirus because she found out something about him that was going to do him in. So he had to kill her. So he injects her with this coronavirus. And she gets very ill, but doesn't die. But the reason they want to charge him with murder is because unfortunately it passed to their 12-year-old son who did die in the show. It's, it's on the show, but are you telling me Law & Order producers understood the coronavirus better or a coronavirus better than so-called experts that they knew they can get one person sick and get another person sick just by being around them? I mean, I know it sounds silly and ridiculous, but it's stuff like that, that if we just had some clarity, if we like, for example, knew, well, there's a testing lab in a certain place in China and this is where it's starting, it should have stopped right there. But we didn't. But why? Why didn't we? And there's things we're finding out now that a year ago, year and a half ago, we were talking about and we were told we were we didn't know what we were talking about, that no, it couldn't be a lab or it couldn't be this or it couldn't be that because nobody just wanted to get to the damn truth of that. And I don't think we still are at the truth of that. But this is the scenario that plays out with every colossal failure for sure, but also every small failure. When you really think about the characteristics and behaviors of just not being told everything, of how does somebody who knows that they're working on this in the one place on the planet where an outbreak is starting and they don't stop the, it's everybody stop. Here's what's going on. Let's contain it before we, so we know what to do. And we didn't do that. We did the opposite. And it doesn't matter who was in charge at the time because quite honestly, the people who are in charge now who are screaming, begging, clawing, almost gonna mandate that everybody take a vaccine shot is the same people less than a year ago because they were on a different side of the fence saying, oh, I wouldn't touch that because our opponent is making that or is responsible for making that. And now they're uh, how, uh, well, everybody's confused now. Like, why is there any kind of confusion of taking it? Well, they set that precedent last year, but there was so much fighting going on instead of clarity and truth. If they had just told us the truth from day one of here's what I really think it is. Here's what it can really do. And here's how we can help ourselves. But we didn't do that. And now we're paying a horrific price because we just couldn't be honest with ourselves. But it's the characteristics of that. No matter what you believe, I don't, I, I'm really, you know what? You want to light me up in comments. I really don't care what your political affiliation is. When you look at how it was handled and how it should have been handled, they didn't need hindsight. There's nothing now that they should have known back then. They already knew and they didn't do it. And that's on them. But it's, a, it's the same characteristics we see through colossal failure. And the last example I want to use is what we're seeing right now in the pullout in Afghanistan. Now, again, your politics of what you think 
should happen in Afghanistan is not what I'm after. And I'm certainly not here to defend anyone or really attack anyone, but the characteristics in failure are almost the same. It, it, every one of these examples, whether it was a personal example I went through with a company or something the entire world sat around and watched, which in this case is exactly what happened. I mean, how do you have this kind of calamity for days and days and days that the entire globe is watching on cable news and it took days for our leader to actually say something and then they say it for 20 minutes and then go right back on vacation, answer no questions whatsoever. And you can read the statement if you want. Again, I'm not here to debate you, but pretty much blamed everybody else and then left people beneath him at lower levels to have to deal with the questions. And that's not how you handle a crisis. When you are the leader, and I don't care if it's of a country or one little department in a company, you're that person that leads through the entire crisis. You're the focus point. So that's what you have to do. So when you look at this situation, whether or not we were going to evacuate on one date or another, or who said we were going to do it doesn't matter. The fact that it's happening, like we just lost a war rather than like a very organized agreement, which is being said right now by our leadership that they have an agreement. Well, then why the, 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 the exit we're seeing where it's calamity, where people are jumping on top of moving aircraft and falling to their death. If we had an agreement to do that peacefully, we wouldn't see that. You just wouldn't. And then when I'm watching just a press conference, again, I'm just simply pointing out characteristics of a colossal failure not taking ownership. Not only the leader not even bothering to, to own up to anything, but you talk about other people like military leaders, the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Miley, in his press conference, couldn't answer certain questions about the, the military assets we're leaving behind or anything like that. There's only one military conflict in the whole globe for us right now. One. How do you not know? Even one reporter kind of looked at him and said, how do you not know? And that's just indicative of what I really think it is. They don't want to tell us. But we see these same characteristics repeat themselves in these major failures over and over. Nobody can look at any one of these things. Again, not interested in the political debate. But every one of these instances, you, you can look at the same character characteristics of failure in every single one of them. And how do you avoid that? Because if it's big or small, this can, as a leader, will absolutely kill your brand, will absolutely kill trust with your people. And you've got to learn that it is about your character that does it. So let's look at the good things you should be doing, even in the midst of failure that you can focus on. Because my question, why is it just so hard to say the truth? Like we're so embarrassed or worried. I, I get it on the political spectrum. They're just worried about all of that fallout, which is sad in itself, but how much could be saved? How much could be prevented just simply by telling the truth? Like for example, during the midst of COVID and a lot of companies were impacted by that, several companies just were upfront with their people and say, here's what we're faced with. Rather than start laying people off, would we as a team accept lower levels of pay as a group? And a lot of them agreed to that. And a lot of them were able to save it or just simply by being honest and saying, hey, here's how we used to create revenue. And now through no fault of our own, some of these avenues are no longer available. What are we going to do? And being honest with the team so they can help you do that and come up with all kind of different, completely different products, completely different revenue streams. But that goes by being honest because when you don't do that, hysteria and lying and deceit will always fill that void. It always will. Because again, there's two, there's two things really at play here is number one, you asked to leave. So for example, when I got sent by that company from one state to another, even though I found out later that what they were, they were telling me was not not true at all. I asked for that position out. You can say all you want about them not being upfront 
and honest, but I wanted to lead that unit. And I got to, I got to accept that. And I had to make a choice. Was I going to continue to lead that unit or leave? And I stayed. And quite honestly, I fixed it with one particular book. One. And the book is simply titled Execution by Larry Bossidy and Ram Charon. And if you don't have it, you really need to get it because it is, it is an amazing book on execution. I went chapter by chapter and little by little, I started to see the results. And it was just by happenstance, I started reading that book at that same time. And I said, this is going to save this operation and, and me, quite frankly. And it did. And later, one of my favorite books, The Four Disciplines of Execution, I've used that ever since. Both of those books, when it comes to getting things done, those two books are my staples, my standby. And Four Disciplines of Execution just released a second edition. So this is kind of an unplugged commercial. Um, I'm not being paid by them, but it works. So you should have both of those books in your arsenal. But I decided to be that leader. I took that on. So I had to make a decision and I made it and we went forward with it. And it may not have worked out, but I decided to stay and I had to let go of the fact that they weren't honest with me and said, I got to own it. So I moved on. And so as you start to see things go wrong in the wrong direction, and sometimes again, it's not up to you. It's not something you did. There's no way you don't know it. There's no way you don't know where your sales revenue is. There's no way, for example, when I took over that operation, payroll skyrocketed to 52% of sales. Crazy. Wasn't making a dime. It was actually losing a lot of money. There's no way you don't know. There's just no like, oh, I can't believe this happened. There's no way. You got to own that stuff. So here's the things you got to do to own the colossal failure. And I know that sounds something weird to say, like, why should I have to own colossal failure? But one of two things is going to happen. Either that failure is going to occur one way or the other, or you're going to come out of the other side of that failure with admiration of your people, with your dignity, your integrity, your pride, knowing you did all you could do, learning a ton of what not to do next time or what to look for earlier, or just the fact that people see how you handled it and maybe you get another opportunity. So number one, the cover-up is always worse than the crime. I think we instinctively all know that. But basically, that's what we're talking about here is the cover-up is worse than the crime. All the examples I shared with you, you think about failures you've had in your personal life, excuses we've tried to make when things aren't going right. And then we try to, basically, we're trying to cover it up instead of saying, here's exactly what happened or happened and here's what I'm doing about it. That's all you got. So think about this quote from uh, Abraham Lincoln. Quote, I'm a firm believer in the people. If given the truth, they can be depended upon to meet any national crisis. The great point is to bring them the real facts. End quote. And how many of us in any of these situations, whether you've been in them in a company and not told the truth, or we see play out nationally, that if they just told us that stuff, we could make better decisions or we could demand better excellence, but they don't. So remember that the cover up is always worse than the crime. And in the end, people always find out. They always find out. So just don't cover it up. Just move forward. So number two, provide cover fire. Now it's kind of a, a way, you know, I know you're not going to have cover fire at work, but I'm thinking about the Af- Afghanistan pullout. If they really felt like they were threatened at the airport trying to get out, they should have had cover fire. So keeping the enemy at bay, they wouldn't have to freak out so much about leaving. There would Maybe there wouldn't be a mass rush to the airport and so on. Well, think about cover fire in a business sense of, you know, the business is going downhill or that department. Own up to it and just look, tell the people what's going on. Tell them what they can expect as soon as you can tell them that you know something's wrong instead of covering up. Like you ever heard about, you, you walk up to a business, the doors are locked, checks.com. 
coming. And like everybody's like, how, how, how? we didn't know. Uh, yes, you knew. That company knew. Uh, I never understood it. But be upfront. Provide cover fire. Allow your people to leave with dignity and pride. And be be straight with them and tell them something's not working. Again, you'll never know what's what your team might do, what they might come up with. Or, and the worst thing that can happen is you give them enough time to, to find something else and, and leave with pride and understand that it really wasn't them that was the problem. So provide cover fire for people. Number three, you've got to be the focal point. You got to be the focal point person. Don't send others to do your dirty work, to, to communicate, to answer questions. If you're the leader, then damn it, be the leader. You got to take the hits. That's what we're here for as leaders. So you be the one to answer the questions and stand up and own it. Number four, don't bother blaming anyone. One of the biggest things everybody always says is, well, look at the mess I inherited. Well, I'll tell you what, go to work and every time something doesn't go right, say that to your boss, see how far you get. That's really my measurement. If I believe in a politician or not is what they're telling me and saying all the time. Could I say that to my boss at work and still have a job? That doesn't work. And again, remember what I said, you asked for that. You asked for that that position. Let me take this over. Because if you don't think any operation doesn't have problems, you're fooling yourself. There's no way that there's just things just happen all by themselves organically and everybody gets along and there's no problems and revenue's always going to come in. And you know that's garbage. So stop talking about what you inherited and start talking about, look what I'm capable of doing. Look at the direction I can go in. And, and I tell leaders all the time, because when other leaders come in at a higher level than them, wanting know what's going on or why things are the way they are. I can promise you they've heard every excuse everywhere else they've gone and you're never going to tell them anything they've never heard of. So the two things every everybody needs to say to a leader asking them questions is one, you know exactly what's going on. Even if there's a problem, hey, this is a problem, but you got to follow it up with and here's what I'm doing with it or here's what I'm trying to do with it or here's my idea. Do you have an idea that's better than that or somebody else I should be talking with to, to solve that problem? So you come up with what the problem is is and what you're doing about it. You have to be in that constant mode. Stop blaming other people. And number five, it's the good old fashioned going down with the ship. You got to own it to the end. Again, you're the one that wanted to be the leader. You wanted to be in charge. Even if it's not your fault, you have to make a decision. If you're going to stay there, you got to stay till the end. You got to be the last one off the boat. That's where the character comes in. If you really are that person that cares that deeply, that's who you got to be. So those are five simple steps. And it's not more complicated than that. It sounds like all these huge, massive, colossal problems, shouldn't there be a much more convoluted way, much higher level nuanced thinking? No. Character is quite simple, actually. It's very simple. What's nuanced is the power they hold in their hand and what they're able to do, whether they can pick up a phone and call someone and just make something happen or not. But that's that's what we're getting at here. It is about your character. It is about owning it. It is about you being the communicator. It is about you providing cover fire, being honest with the situation. Say, here's what we're faced with and not pretending to, oh, we, there's no way we could have known this. All of those excuses have to go out the window. So that is the simple conclusion here. It's not complicated. It's about character. And like I say about everything else I've talked to you about, as the leader, all of this is 100% up to you.
Thank you so much for joining me for another show. Please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues and start up your own discussions on the topic of the show. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss a show. And check out the links in the show notes and give us a rating so we know how we're doing and five stars would be pretty sweet. So until next week, remember, you know you have to get work done with other people, but how you get done work with other people is entirely up to you.